0: I think maybe the intro will just be a montage of you trying to say Grace's name.
1: Grace Hawk. Grace Hawk. Hawk. Grace Hawk.
0: Welcome back to the Maroon Weekly. It's episode 8. It's 10th week. As always, I'm Miles. I'm Austin. We're changing it up this week. We've got another voice in the booth. Hey everyone, I'm Quinn Kane. And we're also going to switch around the format. So we're going to start with some featured segments, and then we're going into the rest of the news and events at the uh, tail end of the podcast.
1: Our first segment this week comes courtesy of correspondent Grace Hauck. The Maroon Editorial Board had the opportunity to sit down with Illinois gubernatorial candidate and former UChicago mathematics professor Daniel Biss, as well as Gabriel Pomonte, who's challenging Leslie Harrison for the fifth ward alderman seat.
2: This week, the Maroon sat down with two people running for office in Illinois. On Thursday, the Maroon Editorial Board sat down with Daniel Biss, former mathematics professor at the University of Chicago and current state senator for Illinois. Biss is currently challenging J.B. Pritzker, Chris Kennedy, and others for a Democratic nomination for governor of Illinois. The first question that you'll hear is from Viewpoints editor Cole Martin, who's asking Biss about his record-low approval writing from the AFL-CIO.
3: You know, I respect the AFL-CAO a lot, I work with them closely, I agree with them much more often than I disagree with them, but I care a lot about organized labor, I'm a strong believer in collective bargaining and workers' rights and union rights, Um, but I also ultimately have to make some of these tough decisions where there are arguments on both sides and the weight of the decision comes down on the other side for me. And I do think it's worth noting that that's not a situation that JD Pritzker has (laughs) ever found himself in. Well, I think that the, the first major revenue step that needs to be taken is to repeal the flat tax provision of the Constitution. And um, you know, when you think about the community college price tag, which is something on the order of uh, 2% of the uh, general revenue fund, you, know, you can sort of tweak along the edges and find that money uh, without needing big structural reforms. Uh, when it comes to bolder revenue changes, I support taxing on the South Street, uh, financial transactions, I support closing the period tax loophole. Um, I think these are changes that are really important if we're going to have a tax system that's designed to match a modern economy as opposed to a tax system that's Built for an economy that fundamentally no longer exists. I think there's been no clear explanation of the benefits to Illinois of Amazon coming, and certainly no clear explanation of the distribution of the benefits. Where does it go? To what communities? And so, am I at this, com- at this point comfortable with that offer? No, not. Carlos had made some statements about BDS that were, in my opinion, ambiguous. He had actually voted in City Council for an extremely strong anti-BDS resolution. Um, Anti-BDS resolution. And so in light of all that, I um, had a conversation with him before asking him to join the ticket. Um, and the outcome of that conversation was an understanding that I thought we shared regarding a shared view about BDS, which is, to your second part of the question, strong support for justice for Palestine, strong support for human rights for Palestinians, commitment to a two-state solution of two politically free and economically thriving states existing side by side in peace and security quite frankly, strong uh, opposition to many of the policies of the Israeli government and great frustration with that, those policies and view the view that it would be better for uh, the U.S. to take a more uh, aggressive posture regarding some of uh, Israel's conduct, for instance, around the settlements, which are officially uh, against U.S. foreign policy and yet the U.S. has not done an awful lot to dissuade Israel from building settlements. We agreed on all that stuff and I had the understanding that we also agreed that B.S. was not the right way to advance those goals for a variety of reasons I can explain to you if you're interested. Um, once the campaign started and questions started being asked, uh, it became clear that that understanding was not there. Perhaps there was a miscommunication, perhaps a change of mind. I can't speak to that. I've been to the West Bank, visited a school that was in the literal, physical shadow of the wall. Listen, I come from an Israeli background. My mother is Israeli. I grew up spending a fair amount of time there. I'm really sickened by the conduct of the Israeli government around these issues. Well, let's start with policy. I agree that JB has done a really good job of adopting a lot of my policies during the course of this campaign and um, I'm appreciative of that. Um, it is definitely the sincerest form of flattery. Um, you know, just to give an example, I've been talking about a progressive income tax since I started running for a state representative close to 11 years ago. On that issue, I mean, I cannot tell you how useful it would have been when we were fighting this fight in 2013 and 2014 for JB to get up and say, you know what, I would pay more under this plan, but that's the right thing to do. That's the way a modern tax system ought to work. And by the way, I'm going to spend $56.2 million funding a campaign to make it happen. We would have a progressive income tax today if JB had been willing to do that back then, but he was utterly silent. There are things like taxing financial transactions, taxing, um, closing the, the carried interest loophole, single-payer health care, free college, uh, that he would differ, We just disagree. And I will admit to your question, those are not tomorrow things. And I think there is incredible value in saying, we're going to get there eventually. I mean, Kennedy, there's even more differences, interestingly. You know Things like legalization of cannabis is very, very confusing to know what his position is. Um, control he opposes, and there's, there's more, Kennedy's been less meticulous about copying me than Pritzker. The notion that just being successful in business means that you'll be effective as a government leader is frankly absurd. He's saying Bruce Browner has all this money, so we need someone with as much money or more to go toe to toe, and that's me. That's, that's the actual argument that he has. We need a billionaire to go up against a billionaire. And so when I, when I say we've gotta decide if we're gonna have an election or an auction, that's what I mean. There's a fundamental difference in theory of change. I guess that's the real thing I'm saying here. JB's theory of change is write a bigger check. My theory of change is build a better movement. And the more the economy is tied up in the financial sector, the more you have this global effort to push down wages, this global effort to make life worse for both workers and um, ultimately probably consumers as well. I don't know, dude, like look around, right? It sort of feels that way, right? That, that there's this kind of generational transfer of massive amounts of wealth that just grow and grow and grow and grow without any apparent connection to particularly productive economic activity. So I think the question is, what's the what's the appropriate level of concentration of wealth? I don't think we're ever going to have 100% equality. Um, I think it's hard to imagine such a world, but we don't have trillionaires, and it sort of sounds laughable to talk about trillionaires except in the direction that we're going. One day we'll have them if we don't change something. So do I think the amount of concentration of wealth that that results from having a billionaire is healthy for society? No, I don't think it is. And I think it results in a kind of concentration of power that becomes irrevocable, that creates a whole different social caste where both wealth and power are simultaneously growing faster than the rest of the economy grows and are being handed down from generation to generation. And that's the definition of creating inequality of mobility.
2: Great, and this may be a nerdy question, but any shout out for you Chicago students? Anything you wanna to say to undergrads specifically? Did I just
3: go through that entire thing without doing that? Yeah. You did. Fail. necessary. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I used to teach here. I was here for six years back in the olden days when fun came here to die before Hyde Park became to die. yeah I mean it was a different world you have no idea what, what sort of uh, hardship we went through back in the I don't
2: know I woke up at 5 a.m. this morning there was some, that There's sounds, some it sounds That sounds terrible <laughs>
3: um,
4: I'm sure you can imagine waking up early busy schedule I yeah.
3: actually the thing about waking up early is I just erase the fact that it's like childbirth like I don't remember that it happened once it's over and so <laughs> childbirth? yeah I've read about it um <laughs> Let me just say this. Um, so I was here for for six years and it was really, really fun. And it was fun for the reason that we just experienced, which is that the students that I encountered here had a level of intellectual curiosity that is like nothing I've ever seen anywhere else. Right? That, that's different than like being academically elite, which like whatever, right? That's about actual intellectual curiosity and hunger for learning and um, passion for questioning ideas and pushing back and to me that's what builds a better world and that's why this interview i think was so much fun that there were all these questions that were two or three layers deeper than you might otherwise expect because it's a community that um, that revels in the social benefit that comes from asking really really hard questions that's the thing to evangelize that's the thing that makes the world better democracy works when we find ourselves able to ask those questions in vigorous ways. So keep asking. Yes, we appreciate you coming and Thank you very much. Thank you. Really, really appreciate and Really appreciate the, uh, all the interest in the questions. Thank you.
2: Later, some news reporters sat down with Gabriel Piamonte, who's running for Fifth World Alderman against Leslie Hairston.
5: I'm Pete Grieve, uh, editor in chief, incoming editor in chief.
2: I'm Lee Harris, I'm the news editor. I'm Alia Shazad, the reporter for the nascent Chicago politics.
6: Yes, which I've heard about. Yeah. Uh, I'm here. I'm also the incarnated My name is Gabriel Piamonte, G-A-B-R-I-E-L. P is in Peter. I-E. M is in Mary. O. N is in Nancy. T is in Tom. E. I'm challenging Alderman Leslie Hairston for the um, position of Fifth Ward Alderman. Um, I'm I'm moved to make this decision based on what I see as a kind of critical moment in in our community where um, I think there are issues, pressing issues, that need to be um, brought to the surface and addressed. Born and raised in Boston, uh, went to Suffolk University for undergrad. My history is um, my family are Democrats. I grew up in a Democratic Party. But honestly, my family, the the community I grew up in, the Italian-American Democrats that I grew up around in. Chicago were social democrats. I've lived in the fifth ward on the south side for uh, 17 years. Um, I started uh, working as a reporter at the Hyde Park Herald in 2000, uh, worked there for about two and a half or three years. I did some work um, at a non-profit um, t- teaching folks journalism and doing advocacy around the um, residents of public housing during the plan for transformation. So I was at the Charles Hayes Family Investment Center um, when the public housing developments on State Street were being torn down. I came back to the to the Herald after a couple of small projects and became the editor um, and served in that role I think for eight years. Um, at some point I, uh, I moved to Woodlawn so I think I was in Hyde Park for nine or ten years and I've been in Woodlawn for six or seven years. I have a program called uh, Woodlawn Voices and Visions which I started four years ago which works with um, high school students, CPS high school students, teaching videography um, with a, an additional agenda of social consciousness kind of development. Um, so that's some of my stuff. I'm 49, I'm married, I have six stepchildren, um, yeah. It's the videography work that I think started me kind of down a, a path that has now brought me to this point. And, and in doing that work, I've I've had a We've, we've worked with probably around 80 kids over the last four years. We're interviewing in Woodlawn, we're inter- interviewing a, a little bit in Englewood, um, in, in some other places. You really start to hear the voices of, of the neighborhood and the frustration people have um, been feeling, and um, also engaging with their, their families. Uh, you just, I, I just have a sense that I did not have uh, before I started this program of of where Uh, life for high school students is right now on the south side of Chicago and and how desperate it is. I thought, well, the Obama Center, of course, the foundation's going to be surrounded by uh, wealthy people, influential, powerful friends of the president and the first lady, and that's just what's going to happen. Like, you just kind of know what to expect. And then there's this kind of creep, and all of a sudden there's a thing that's going to build in our neighborhoods that's also filled with, you know, like the why why is the guy that ran the you know, his education policy nationally now making decisions about what gets built down the street for me? The main issue for me is a community input is that we're not shaping it. I think what you need is robust, diverse deliberation. I honestly believe the longer the process goes on, the more likely it would be if there were like a Brexit vote for the Obama Center that people would say, Yeah, move it. Part of my platform is for each of the neighborhoods that I uh, would represent I think there should be a council of people from the neighborhood picked by by residents who make decisions about development in that neighborhood. So the CBA I think this is really interesting because the CBA itself to me is sort of like a it's, it's like taking a, a, a set of ideas that a, a council might come to and freezing them in time and the idea that because this is a nonprofit, a CBA doesn't make as much sense as it does with a for-profit. Doesn't seem to me. I I literally don't understand. Um, I want to talk because I think this is really important. In Woodlawn and South Shore, we have a problem that um, is connected to the way that we're talking about economic um, development and how we talk about the Obama Center kind of strengthening. Um, the, the, the south side and, and just big developments generally, there, there's an underlying challenge um, where the the infrastructure isn't there, so people aren't in a position, if I have a business and I'm running into a little bit of trouble, I have a couple of options. I can, um, I can borrow some money from a bank or I can go to some friends. And or family and get some money from them to kind of tide me over until things get better, or I have some of my own assets. In a community where banks are not friendly to um, small business owners, where people don't have as many assets, so not as many of your friends and family actually have money to be able to loan you, and where you yourself, on average, have fewer assets, the the possibility of you just losing that property instead of getting through a rough patch increases. And I'll just tell you, at the end of a lot of give and take with them, uh, the university reported out that they had just under 8% of hires on site in the five zip codes in and around Woodlawn. I think that there are going to be parallel development projects with an Obama sticker put on them that are going to have nothing to do with you know, community empowerment.
2: If you want more information on the CBA, check out some of our previous podcasts. In the past, we've sat down with news reporters to talk about what a CBA is, as well as hosted a roundtable with some members of the Coalition for a CBA.
7: Thanks again to Grace Houck. In our next segment, I look into the rumors surrounding the business major. This week I spoke with Katie Aiken, the Maroon's Managing Editor, who has been reporting on the Business Economics major, a proposed undergraduate major that would be distinct from the Economics major and which would offer students a more applied approach to econ. So Katie, when and how did we first start hearing about the Business Economics major?
4: So we first heard about the major through anonymous posters that were put up in I think Cobb and maybe the Reg, um, all around campus that were advocating against the business major. They didn't have much information. They said things like, business has no business here. And they had no identifying information or any information about what the vote was actually on. So what we did is we contacted some members of the college council, which is the faculty group that votes on new curriculum for the college. And we asked if the business major was a thing and whether or not it was happening. And they confirmed for us that it was something they were going to be voting on.
7: What about Dean of Admissions, Jim Nondorf?
4: Oh, right. So that, too. Yeah, in an event last fall, he mentioned to a couple admitted students that the university was thinking about adding a business economics major. We haven't really been able to connect that directly to the proposal that they're looking at now, but it's all been sort of up in the air for a while. We've had our ear to the ground, and it it sort of has come out in a backwards kind of way.
7: Right. so. These are sort of secondary sources relaying information about the major, but has the university itself said anything about what the major would look like?
4: Yeah, so the university, as, you know an institution hasn't said anything because it's really up to the members of the college council to decide whether or not this is going to become a thing. And so I've spoken to Professor John List. Uh, He's the chairman of the Department of Economics, and he's been one of the people uh, in charge of designing the proposal. And so in brief, it's, it's basically a variation on the economics major, but a different major, like a distinct major. And it will include more classes at Booth and ideally a more applied sort of nature to the courses. But we don't know that much beyond that.
7: And why is this sort of applied approach so divergent from UChicago's traditional areas of study?
4: So this is something that people have been talking about a lot just, I think, among the undergraduate body. The university, as everyone knows and I guess loves, is a liberal arts institution, which means that we really value these sort of courses that are a little less applied and a little more about critical thinking skills. And so some critics of the business major are worried that it's going to become like our pre-professional major, which is something they think does not fit within the liberal arts ideals of the university.
7: On the other hand, why might students want to choose the business major over just regular econ?
4: Well, I'm not an econ major, so I I can't really speak for how they view this. But as I understand it, many econ majors are interested in the major because they want to go into business one day and maybe even go to business school. So if they had the chance to do a track that was a bit more applied and a bit more aligned with their actual interests, that might be beneficial. And as John List told me, I think somewhere between 25 to 30% of the college are econ majors, So, part of his vision is to allow that very, very large population to have more choices within what they want to do.
7: So, you mentioned the College Council before. Mm -hmm. If UChicago were to create a business major, I understand the College Council is responsible for making that decision, Mm -hmm. and how would that decision happen?
4: Yeah, so what's happened thus far with the College Council is John List and some of his teammates at the Booth School, as I understand it, presented their proposal to the College Council. I believe in January and then they were going to vote on the proposal in February as to whether or not it would become a new major. So at the February meeting, which was unfortunately closed to to reporters and I suppose all students, they decided to delay the vote until their April meeting because they don't have one in March. So at the April meeting If they vote in favor, I think a majority in favor, although I should check the Constitution, if a majority votes in favor, then the business major can start happening, and they'd start designing courses and implementing it.
7: So the College Council was supposed to vote on Mm -hmm. this, and they delayed that vote. Was there a reason for them delaying that vote?
4: So the College Council is sort of a funny beast. Because some of the professors in the college council are very open and very willing to talk about what happens. Some are willing to talk under the condition of being anonymous, and some are completely unwilling to talk about it. So, from those I have heard from, it was largely that they felt that they didn't have enough information yet to vote on it, and also they felt that they didn't have enough information about what the potential impacts to the school at large would be. There are some concerns that. Because Booth is heavily involved with the plan, there's concerns that Booth will suddenly have, you know, a voice in the college that they didn't previously have. So, you know, different professors have different issues with it, but yeah, overall they just decided there was too much contention to vote at that meeting, so we'll see. What
7: kind of response have we seen around campus? You know, you mentioned the posters. Mm -hmm. Has there been any other kind of response from students or faculty?
4: Yeah, so there's been a faculty petition against it that was actually drafted by some students. I haven't checked it in a while, but they had, I want to say, a couple dozen faculty who signed that. And that was basically voicing the same reasons that we discussed earlier, where, you know, this is a liberal arts institution and we shouldn't have pre-professional majors. I think beyond that, there hasn't been too much pushback one way or the other mainly because there's still not that much information about what the major actually is um, out there. So people aren't sure what to be angry about.
7: Since this process has gone on pretty much behind closed doors so far, we really can't get a sense of how the College Council might vote, right? Or can we?
4: I really don't think we can, yeah. At this point, I don't know which way anyone's leading.
7: So now I'm speaking with Eugene Miravet, a second-year econ major who has his own perspective on the proposed major. Hi, Eugene. Thanks for coming on the show. How's it going? So, Eugene, what made you want to be an econ major at UChicago?
8: Well, originally I was a physics major, but I didn't really like lab. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I found that I really just enjoyed the, uh, economics, just in theory, and then kind of like the people, started taking, I took Lima's class, honors economics 200, and then just kind of stuck, stuck with it, and it's pretty great. How have you found the major so far? brutally difficult. But then again, I'm doing the honor sequence, which, you
7: know, that's kind of the point. But yeah, it's been fun. So let's get into the specifics here. What are the requirements of economics major at UChicago?
8: Um, so there is a math requirement. So you need one quarter of calculus, 163. You need linear algebra, statistics, and math for social sciences. Then you have econometrics, the core econ major, which is three classes plus an economic policy class, and then you have economic electives, which are very broad. So, all we really know about the proposed business
7: major is sort of defined by how it will be different from the econ major. The head of the econ department, John List, told the Maroon that the business major will be more applied than econ. Are there currently any opportunities for you to take applied courses in the econ major?
8: Yes. So, there is the option of going to booth and taking booth classes um if that's what you're looking for in the business sense there is also there are classes that can be counted in the econ major as electives but not as like core econ classes that would be like more applied so to speak so kind of where the center of
7: the debate over the proposed business major, is that at UChicago, a lot of the education, no matter the department, sort of stays away from applications and tends toward theory, given how central the liberal arts ideology is to the university. Do you think the creation of a business major would be antithetical to UChicago's
8: core principles? Not necessarily. If you really look at the way Booth is structured booth has a lot of like a lot of classes and a lot of like professors that focus on the abstract uh teachings of business so while you do need the you need to be able to like apply all those things and that would be like the building blocks, I don't think it necessarily has to like step away from that liberal arts mentality that we have.
7: What benefits would you see for students like yourself in the econ major? That the business major might provide.
8: I really like both the theory and the application. Um, I am doing the honors sequence, which is almost no application. But on the other hand, a lot of my electives are going to be extremely applied. I would like to see what courses they would open up and they would offer. Honestly, if I if this were a thing when I became an econ major, I would probably do the honors econ sequence plus the business major. I would probably double major. The benefits are like just more choice.
7: But. Couldn't someone maybe argue, applied education is fine and worthwhile, but if you're looking to take such a pre-professional track in your undergrad, maybe UChicago isn't the right fit.
8: I would disagree. Like, the classes I've been a part of are extremely theoretical, and they've been extremely challenging. That's, it's a wonderful place. But, for example, the majority of my professional development, I've essentially been doing in an RSOs and on my own time. And that's okay, but having a class to really structure that out would be really beneficial. I don't, again, as long as we don't deviate from, that, from like the core liberal arts concept of the University of Chicago, everything's fine. There's, I don't think there's necessary harm done in doing the application because if not, people graduate from here, and like they, they can go and do amazing things, but like a couple years down the road they might be like, actually, I need to touch base and have to come back. Do you think there's any need for a more applied approach that isn't being met by the econ department right now? I can't say fully because I haven't done any of their normal classes. I could let you know next quarter. (laughs) Um, The thing is, as far as I know, the econ department is number one in the world for a reason, or amongst the top ones in the world for a reason. So I think it's doing a very good job. That being said, I know a lot of econ majors that take classes at Booth. And there's a reason for that. It's because, yes, they love taking classes on, like, money and banking, and all of the theoretical aspects of economics, but then for their internship or anything, nope, they need a class that's a little bit more grounded. And it's just one class out of, say, six, but you, you just want a little bit of, you know, you don't want to walk in their first day and be like, oh, I don't know what accounting is. Right. <laughs> sort of
7: on that subject, being an econ student, do you ever hear any other econ students being frustrated or complaining that they wish their classes were less theoretical or that they wanted more opportunities to take applied classes?
8: I have witnessed that uh, to a certain extent. But that has more to do, I think, with the expected workload that came with the honors track. the The regular track is still relatively theoretical, but I haven't heard as many complaints, and I think it's also because, like, you know, you're not walking in your second week of class and just given papers, and that's you know, understanding of research paper is hard. <laughs> I don't, I can't do it yet. I don't know. I think I think what a lot of people learn is they they complain about that for a little bit and then they figure out. There are other ways to learn applied skills at this university. I think we can do that better, though. Yeah, what, what do you think could be done better? What would you like to take? <sighs> so I'm already taking a booth class on accounting. I would probably like to take a couple booth classes on business growth, uh, business incentives. Because like, we have great macroeconomic classes that say, in theory, this is how that should work. I would love someone who has a little bit more experience on the applied side tell me the same thing or tell me what's different. Like, I don't think the, the, the goal of the economics department should be all theory or all applied. It should, like, still focus on the theory overall, but have some applied stuff to, like, you know, ground everything else. Because that's the thing, in theory, there's always, oh, this is the theory, but we can't take X, Y, and Z into account. At least that's how it is in economics, and I think that that's, that's where the benefit of, like, the applied classes come in. If I could take it, I would just, I mean, I would take as many classes as I could. I can't, I don't know what those would be. Great. Uh, well, thanks for talking with me. Yeah, for sure.
0: The third segment this week also comes courtesy of Grace Hack, and is about DACA, or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, which is a program the Trump administration has scheduled to expire today, Monday, March 5th. If you want more information, you can check out the feature put together by the news and video sections of the Maroon. It's on our website, chicagomaroon.com. My name
1: is Mo. I am a DACA recipient. I'm queer, and
3: I'm unashamed, and I am unafraid millions of youth brown black queer trans
9: asian pacific islander muslim workers families we are at risk now
5: i'm rafael Espinosa. i'm a second year at the university of chicago i'm a double major in latin american studies and art history i'm an ally and my parents um, came to this country as undocumented immigrants they're from Michoacan, Mexico, and they're out of the Purepecha Nation.
9: I'm Emilio Valderas, I am from Palatine, Illinois. My first year uh, studying political science as of now, and I'm also an ally.
5: What I want Maroon readers to know about DACA is that there are DACA recipients on campus. Um, they might be your classmate, they might be your roommate, they might be your housemate, and although it's not an issue that directly may affect you, you should care about it. Undocumented folk come in Every type of background. They're disabled, they're queer, they're um, homeless.
9: There's a few things I'd like people to know in general. Um, one, that DACA is a very temporary solution, that it never was something that was a comprehensive solution. It's um, only for a select few that like don't have a criminal
5: record and um, came to the US at, a, at the right time, but I've known plenty of people that didn't. Even get to qualify for DACA because they came at the wrong
9: time into the country. Um, in DC, I led a group to do office drop-ins at different um, representatives' offices. You know, some staff laughed in our faces. I got to see kind of how, um, and it's kind of sad, heartless. A lot of the people who work in government are. To be an ally isn't just to, um, you know, to be like I support this when it's convenient for me, when I have time. Uh, you know, when I don't, and when I'm not like tied down by schoolwork. I don't really experience the same things that people who are directly impacted experience, so it's important that they get to tell their stories, give their testimonies, and explain like, from their perspective. Because I think all movements in general should be spear, um, spearheaded by the people who you know are most impacted by them. I also did um, civil disobedience, so I was arrested um, in one of our actions in the Senate office building in Rotunda. And
5: um, I signed up to be a Piña, uh, which is like someone who has decided to get arrested. So this issue is like super personal like if it, it I think about it every day like it honestly
9: plagues my mind it could be as simple as just like reading up on the policy reading up on the different bills that are being passed but also something that's very important is to hear people's testimonies i'm using like my connection with matcha to help you know amplify the rally that me and Mo are trying to, are planning for Wednesday.
3: Stop playing games. Put an end to these delays and
4: protect immigrant youth now.
0: Joining us in the booth is David Wyman, could you explain your role on campus?
10: Well, my name is David Wyman and I'm the editor-in-chief of the Citizen Bulletin, and tomorrow we're going to publish an election guide so that students know how they can participate in the primary election for governor and other state and local offices.
0: So you're here today to talk to us about how people can early vote?
10: Yes. Uh, The election day is March 20th, which is while we will all be on spring break, so UCDI, the University of Chicago Democracy Initiative, is encouraging students to vote early, which can take place anytime between March 5th and March 19th.
0: And how would I go about that if I wanted to vote early?
10: Well, uh, you are eligible to vote early if you are a US citizen uh, who has been residing in this area for at least three days. So basically any UChicago student who's a US citizen who is not incarcerated is eligible to vote. Unless, of course, you have already voted or intend to vote in another state's primary. Now, if you're eligible to vote, what you would do is you would go to uh, the Bessie Coleman Library on 731 63rd Street, which is the closest early voting location to the campus, and you'd go there um, any time between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Monday through Saturday, or 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. on Sundays. Um, and you'd go there and you'd cast your vote, and you don't need any form of ID and you don't need to be registered with any political party. You just declare which party's primary you're going to vote in when you arrive at the polling place. If you are not registered to vote in Illinois or you're registered to vote in a different state but you would like to switch your registration to Illinois, you may register on-site and vote as long as you bring two forms of identification. Thanks, David. You're welcome. It's great to be on here. And everybody go out and vote. Here's the rest of the news. First off, college council is considering restructuring.
7: So is this the same college council that's going to vote on the econ major?
1: No, there's actually two separate college councils. So the econ major is the faculty college council, and this college council is made up of undergraduate representatives.
0: What does restructuring mean in this context?
1: It's not really clear, and I don't think members of the council really know what it looks like yet either. Um, Members have expressed frustrations with everything varying from transparency between their communications with administration, as well as transparency to the undergraduate population, as well as visibility and just an understanding of what they do among the undergraduate population. Um, And members just feel there's a variety of inefficiencies across the board. As a result, the restructuring, it doesn't seem clear what path they want to take. Some members of the council think they just need to start from the ground up and restructure and see what works. Others think they need to more clearly define the problems to move forward with the restructuring, but most of it's up in the air and no official proposals were made.
0: The Obama Foundation was also in the news a little bit this week. They announced a partnership with the Harris School, in which they'll sponsor a one-year master's program, fully funded, including living expenses. The deadline for that is April 10th. Also they held a citywide forum on the Presidential Center, in which Obama again pushed back on signing a community benefits agreement and pledged transparency throughout the development.
1: A large concern about the development has been the loss of parklands and athletic fields. Did they mention that at all during the meeting?
0: So the foundation has submitted its zoning applications with the city, and part of that includes getting a historic review of Jackson Park, as that is a historic site. They also announced in that meeting that they have signed an agreement that will fund the construction of a new artificial turf field, which will serve to replace the existing field that's being taken over by the Obama Presidential Center. And last Thursday, the
7: IOP hosted a public forum with all the Democratic candidates for the governor of Illinois. The candidates talked about issues from education, taxes, to job creation. And at one point, it got heated when State Senator Daniel Biss accused candidate J.B. Pritzker of using the language of racists in light of recently uncovered phone calls between Pritzker and the then-governor, Rod Blagojevich.
1: Lots of big news this week. Also, some really cool events coming up. Like what, Austin? Austin. Well, so at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, the OI has Professor Suzanne Paulus talking to us about how clay tablets give us a glimpse into the everyday lives of middle and lower class Babylonians in a talk called Debts Crime, and Prison, Daily Life in Babylonia. Also, on Thursday from 9 to 12 p.m., the Smart Museum of Art is hosting Study at the Smart. You can prepare for your finals next to paintings, prints, and sculptures in the Smart's exhibition called The History of Perception.
0: Speaking of the history of perception, Artscast covered that a few weeks ago. If you want to check out great arts news on campus, check out the Chicago Marines' other podcast, The Artscast, dropping Wednesday mornings.
1: As always, we can't forget our tech fact. There were a couple of small tragedies in the tech world this week. I broke my laptop. As well, Marie Le Pen, the leader of France's far right wing party, has been the subject of interest in the tech world because some Twitter posts she posted back in 2015 of videos of gruesome activity by ISIS are now being held against her now their parliamentary immunity was lost last March. So we're going to see how this plays out because it's a very interesting story looking at accountability on social media for politicians. That's all we got for you guys in episode eight couple thank yous before we leave.
0: Thank you to Grace Hauk for being an excellent contributor. And thanks to Katie Aiken and Eugene Miravette for talking to me about the econ business
1: major. Thanks to David Wyman for talking to us about how to early vote and getting out the vote.
0: Thanks to Aaron Senden for our jingles and Andrew Dietz for our outro music. Thanks to Ben, Kent,
7: and the entire
0: Logan Cage staff.
1: And thanks to Catherine McDonald for her continued unwavering support of this project. As always, I'm Austin.
0: I'm Miles. And that's a wrap on season one of the Maroon Weekly. I'm getting sentimental already Miles. Well good luck on your finals everyone and we'll catch you next quarter.